Girl Clothing is so much more than clothing. We are a movement. We have collectively decided to stop seeing each other as competition and instead seeing each other as sisters because we believe that is why we are held back as a gender and we are tired of it. So we are coming together, sharing our stories, our experience, strength, and hope to know that we are not alone and to hear that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and we are moving forward. It is 100% girl power. We know that if the women energy is not lifted up across this planet, we are doomed as a human race and we are here to change the game. So please help me welcome back our host, Tavra Lee. You are joining us for another episode of Girl Talk. And I have to tell you guys that of all of these amazing women that have been at Girl Live in 2019, I have been so excited to speak to Janae Kroc. Thank you. Well, thank you. Wow. I'm, I'm honored that you feel that way. I do. Um, and there's so much that we have to talk about in a short period of time, but I do want our listeners that may not know who you are, that you were a professional powerlifter, mm-hmm. right? And in 2019, right? So I train in powerlifting, so this gets okay. me really excited. I'm going to okay, talk awesome. numbers for a minute. Um, <laughs> Um, and for those of you that don't know what powerlifting is, it is a three-lift sport. So it's the bench, the deadlift, and the squat. Um, and it totals for a certain amount in a competition. And for you in 2019, you did a 200, you were in the 220-pound weight class. Mm-hmm. You did a 738-pound bench, 810-pound mm-hmm. deadlift. Yep. Okay, wait. And my favorite part, 1,003-pound squat. Mm-hmm. Oh, I might just swoon. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. That was incredible. Yeah. That was in 2019. 2009. Or 2009, yeah. Yep, yep, 10 years Although ago. that would be this year if yeah, it was yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that's changed since then. A little bit. <laughs> so let's, okay, so let's start early. So where were you born? A uh, little itty bitty town in northern Michigan called Standish. Okay. Mm-hmm. And have you been a strength athlete for a long time, like before 2009? Yes. Um, I mean, I just always had a passion for it. Like, it was one of those early desires that I was just drawn to from a very young age. I remember being five, six years old and seeing someone big and strong and being like, wow, that's how I want to be. So by the mm. time I was uh, nine years old, I was already working out. And before that, I was doing I begged my dad to, you know, buy me weights. And he made me, he melted down lead from old car batteries and made wow. me these little weights plates and and um, I filled up some milk jugs with sand and found a bar in the woods and laid a little two by 12 ac- across a couple of cinder blocks and that was my first bench and wow. so it was just something that was a part of me and that I just you know always wanted and was very drawn to from you know like I said from the earliest ages. So when did you start competing? Um, I did a couple of competitions in high school and to be honest, got my butt kicked. I yeah. wasn't very good. No, <laughs> well, I, may, well, maybe, maybe you just hadn't like grown yet. I mean, um, well that I just didn't really have, I didn't have, I, I was always a decent athlete. I mean, I was kind of, you know, fast for my age. I was always fairly decent at sports. Um, but I wasn't naturally big and strong and that's what people now find hard to believe. And, you know, it, it was so funny when I was up and coming, people would always tell me that, you know, if, I didn't talk a lot about my biggest goals, but I knew from a long time ago that I, I wanted eventually to be number one in the world. And, and then when I hit those numbers you just talked about in 2009, um, that was the all-time world record. At that time, that was the most weight anyone had ever lifted in that weight Yeah, I, I neglected to mention that. Oh, that was like a, a world record. I mean, yeah. that's why I said swoon because yeah. that, that, that was, yeah. I mean, and it's been achieved since, but at the time right. that was quite a big deal. 
Yeah, yeah. And it was something I'd been chasing basically my whole life. You know, that was my ultimate goal. And, and I had known that for a long time. But I was also, you know, you, you kind of focus on just, to, you know, just in front of where you're at. So, you know, when you're at the state level, you're working to get to the top of the state level. Then you work to get to the top of the national level, then the world level. Then, you you know, you're working on the world records. And, and you know, it was step by step over a very long period of time. It took me two decades to get there. Um, I didn't break the world record until I was in my mid-30s. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd been competing since my teens. But um, but yeah, I didn't have a genetic de- uh, you know predisposition for it. I was actually more of a runner. Mm-hmm. Um, but but strength was what I was passionate about, and so little by little, and you know kept working really hard all those years, and eventually got there. So when I say that things changed a lot from 2009 <laughs> until then, <laughs> I mean I, I I feel like we just like need to rip the bandaid off, sure, right? We sure. just need, right. So it was 2015 when you came forward as transgender. Well, actually, I got outed. Um, oh, yeah. So oh, I don't know if I'm going to like that part. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it was a little rough, but um, but it actually, you know, it was there was definitely the the silver lining inside those mm, dark clouds. But mm-hmm. so I had been out um, to my family and friends, fortunately, for about a decade. And um, my boys, I had told them all when they were very young, so that that was a really good thing. And but the people close to me all knew. I had slowly been coming mm-hmm. out to people for a long time, but it was still very much within like my tight circle. I mean, some of my sponsors knew at the time. A couple that I was real close to the owners like they did know yeah like okay. Dave Tate at EliteFTS.com mm-hmm. was awesome and always very supportive I told him early on and um, but a lot of but some of my other sponsors like Muscle Tech had no idea um, and uh, you know so it was one of those things you know I was, like I said, I was pretty open about it as far as my friends and family went. I was also open about it with like a lot of the competitors at the elite level, like the people I competed with at Worlds and stuff all knew. Um, But I was not open to like the fan base and not open like on social media or anything. I wanted to be, but the the big thing that was holding me back was, um, was the biggest thing was my three sons. Um, I was very concerned about how it might affect them. I didn't want them to have to deal with any backlash from their coaches, from their teachers, from you know other kids at school. Yeah, their community, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. so I had discussed it with the people closest to me, and we all felt the best thing was to wait until they were out of high school, and then I would come out about everything. But then in 2015, that option got taken away from me. There was a YouTube vlogger um, that you know caught wind of it somehow and uh, outed me. And the video went viral like instantly, and um, I'll never forget it. Like, how did they? How did they out you? Did they have a video of you like, like dressed? And, and at the time, you were you were still performing and working and living as a man. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but did they find like footage or something? Like, um, I, well, I had um, multiple social media pages, oh, and, um, okay. and they were private pages. But um, but yeah, I had I had Janae pages for a long time. For me, you know, people are like, well, why would you do that if you didn't want to be outed? Mm-hmm. And, and they were private, and only my friends. Um, had access to him so it's kind of always you know you wonder a little bit who was it that spilled the beans but um but uh what yes but the thing is it was also important for me for my identity and to be able to express myself that way and and to expand that part of my world so that's why I had those pages because I I needed that and um it was really hard at that point in my life to to still keep everything secret and not be as out as I could be about it did it feel like you were dipping your toe in the water a little as Janae? You were st- you were starting to experience mm-hmm. what it, what you were being pulled towards for probably yeah. a long time. And I, I guess that mm-hmm. would be my next question is, you know, how long how long have you felt like you wanted to be a woman? Um, five or six years old. I knew by the time I was a young child. Really? and But it was one of those things, like, I didn't know how to put words to it. I didn't really know how to explain it. I mean, back then, I don't even think I knew. I mean, you know, there was very little information about transgender people in general. Um, mm-hmm. let, and let alone knowing that that's what I was. I just knew... 
um, that I had issues with my gender. And by the time I was five or six years old, I was constantly daydreaming about being female. And the interesting thing was, it wasn't like I wasn't daydreaming about doing, you know, stereotypical, like playing with dolls and things like that, or dressing up like a princess. Um, it was, I would just picture myself doing the same thing as I was already doing, playing sports, climbing trees, things like that. But I just always saw myself as this little girl when I was doing them. And it was funny. I was kind of like in my head, I was this little tomboy with a ponytail pulled back. And, but, um, and then I would, and I would stop and think like, why, why am I doing this? What, what's making me you know, feel this way? And then, and I immediately felt guilty and ashamed. I mean, I grew up back in the, you know, at that point it was in the late seventies, early eighties. And, um, you know, I was taught to believe that like being gay was the worst thing in the world, that that was wrong and sinful. And then, you know, that was so horrible. I could only imagine what people would think if, you know, they found out that I was actually transgender. And um, so it was just, you know, this big thing that I don't know when, at what point I really acknowledged to myself that's what it was. But um, by the time I was in college, after I got out of the Marines, I was, you know, checking out every book in the library on, um, you know, on transgender stuff. But back then, there was very little good information. We didn't have, that was, that was right around when the internet was just first blossoming. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there was no communities like there are now. And, um, and most of the academic work on transgender people was all by people outside the community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was very inaccurate, very judgmental. And, um, so I was just really trying to figure things out, but I I don't think at that point I was still ready to admit to myself that that's who I was. I was still too terrified. Um, but it, but then like slowly over like the next decade or so I started accepting things. And then, um, about the time my first marriage ended, um, that's when I really started like, you know, dressing up and going out in public and interacting and, and living life at least part-time as a woman. And, um, that was huge for me. I'll never forget the very first time that I bought a halfway decent wig and had my own makeup and, and, uh, you know, put all that on and then looked in the mirror and it was like this life-changing moment. Um, I broke down crying and it was like seeing myself for the first time in my entire life, you know, and, and, uh, it was just, it was crazy. As you wanted to be seen. Yeah. How, how's you felt on the inside? It yeah. was the first time the external matched the internal. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then people ask, you know, why the clothes? Why the makeup? Why this? You really, it's just an external representation of an internal feeling. Mm-hmm. All you're trying to do is get those to match. And um, for me, it was just, it was huge and it was life changing. And, and then, but then there was still like the next decade was all trying to balance everything and figure everything out and, and get rid of all these preconceived notions of what a woman is and, and who I am. And, and as I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, but the biggest thing I struggled with was being taught that only men were big and strong and only mm. men were real muscular. And so then I was, so I was so confused. How can I be so passionate about strength training and yet have a female identity? And I've always, I felt for the longest time that I had to pick one or the other. Like there was only two options, you know, like we talk about being non-binary. Well, this was like being trapped in this binary world where if I, if I was going to be big and strong, then I had to continue to identify as male and all the things that I was taught that male means. And, and then, and if, but if I was going to be a female, then I had to conform to this unreal, all these, you know, unrealistic beauty standards and all this other stuff that most women have dealt with all their lives. And then it took me a long time to sort those things out. I mean, I have to say you're talking to the right person because yeah, you saw yeah. I got, just got really fidgety right there yeah. when you yeah. talk about that. Because I'm like, oh, I as a as as a, a woman, my whole life I've struggled with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the this juxtaposition between a strong equaling masculine and feminine being weak. Yep, weak and subservient. And, yeah, and mm-hmm. so but okay, so but what happens when you are feminine? And strong as fuck. Exactly. Okay, so, I mean, I I spend a a large majority of my life still now at 45 years old 
um, dealing with that mm-hmm. because most most of society, and I'll, I'll I, I'm single, so I'll say men in general um, are not comfortable with those two sides. I mean, it, I teach mm-hmm. Krav Maga, and mm-hmm. you know this. I tell somebody that threatening, right? Their legs close really quick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah. oh, what? You know, uh, but. Mm-hmm. It is a juxtaposition because still at the end of the day, I'm still a girl, right? You know, and I, I still well, like my hair to be curly, and yeah. I, I still am going to wear makeup. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to punch you in the face, I promise you, my <laughs> nails are going to look amazing when I do it, right? But it's this idea that strength is associated with masculinity, and mm-hmm. and you can't be feminine and strong, or you can't be feminine and tough, and that and that's absolutely ridiculous. And that's what it took me years of trying to sort out and realizing, and and what, and actually the light bulb moment for me was getting close to the women in the strength training world. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these girls I had competed a lot of the same competitions with and we knew each other but we weren't close. Well then after I came out a lot of them reached out to me and and, uh, you know just to support me and and which I was super thankful for because I was honestly really really terrified of how the women were going to feel. I didn't know if they would see me as like an intruder or threatening. Or feel threatened. Yeah. yeah, And um, but it was exactly the opposite. They welcomed me with open arms. They were so supportive and then talking realizing they struggled with the exact same things. It was all about, you know, wanting to be a better athlete and chasing these goals and all that feeling so rewarding, but then having all this negative pushback. Like, oh, you know, don't get too big and strong. Oh, you, you're starting to look like a man. Like, all this ridiculous oh stuff. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, it was just like, oh, my God, here's someone who understands. And, um, and that helped me so much because before that, I thought that I had to pick or choose. I either, if I was going to identify as female, then I couldn't be big and strong. Or if I was going to be big and strong, then I had to continue to identify as male. And it didn't make, and it just, oh, I felt like I was being ripped apart. And because both things, both aspects were such huge parts of who I am. But then I met the women in the strength training world, got close to them and realized, oh my gosh, here are my sisters. They feel exactly the same way and deal with all the same, same BS. And it was so interesting to me, too, as I transitioned, watching how differently people treated me. So, you know, as a male, I was known. And the funny thing was, I wasn't just, you know, like a champion powerlifter. I was known as like the craziest, the most intense, like the toughest of the alpha of the alpha males. Very, very, Mm -hmm. very masculine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and aggressive, which, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, that's I Mm -hmm. people. I would say that if you met half of the people in my life that train with me, some of them are here, you've met my crew, uh-huh. um, they'd say that I'm aggressive and mm-hmm. I'm I'm masculine. They would say I'm manly, but they would say those things about mm-hmm. me too. Yeah, and um, but yeah, but it's the idea that only that you have to be masculine to be those things, and that's the ridiculous mm-hmm. part. There's there's men that are strong. There's women that are strong. Mm-hmm. There's women that are aggressive. There's men that are aggressive. But there's men that are meek and mild, and there's nothing wrong with that either. And the same thing with women. We're all different, different. in so many ways, and it has nothing to do with our gender. And so those women helped you with that a ton, a ton. That was like I said for me. That was that was the light bulb moment. That was what changed everything and just completely changed my perspective. And that might be sort of a unique issue to you in your journey. I, mm-hmm. I, and may, maybe not, um, but I, I think that there are lots of other challenges I know that you faced in your journey mm-hmm. to get to where you are today that are not necessarily related to that, but that was a big piece for you. And it's mm-hmm. that's not just a transgender issue. That's a, a strong women issue. Exactly. Like women trying to come into their own and not have to be meek or weak. So, I mean, both, mm-hmm. both men and women can relate to what you're saying. And in fact, men can learn from that. For sure. Yeah. Well, 
and that's the thing too. There, there is also a lot of pressure on men to be the strong one, to be the leader, to be the head of the household. And then not every guy feels that way. And the ones that don't feel that way feel like less. And then if they have a strong woman and then other people give them a hard time about that. Oh, you see who wears the pants in that family, you know? So it's this idea that the man has to be. So there's pressure on men too, to play this role, even the ones that don't feel comfortable You're with it. You're so right. And we don't talk mm-hmm. about that enough. Mm-mm. And you know, I have a friend that brought this up to me because I have a son that's 21 and she asked me that question. She said, like, do you, do you actually teach a gender role to your son as a single parent? Like, do you teach him to like be the man of the house and do you teach this and do you teach that? And I thought, you know what I do? I actually, I'm like, son, like my, all the light bulbs need to be changed. (laughs) I don't even wait. I don't even know what goes in that chandelier, but can you go get it? And the truth is I, I ask those tasks of my son, but what it did is made me consciously aware of the fact that I didn't even realize I was doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I now equally ask my boy and my girl to garden, awesome. to cut the grass, to take out mm-hmm. the garbage, to grocery shop. They're both required to cook and clean mm-hmm. equally. And yeah. I, I don't gender roll them, but you know what? I didn't even realize I was doing no, that. No, and that is such an important thing. I'm glad you brought that up because that is so important because people do so many things and they don't even realize they're harmful. And a perfect example is with young girls, what, what do most people say? And they're trying to be nice. They're trying to be positive. But you're so pretty. You're so beautiful. Mm. There's this emphasis all on their looks. And, it, and so what is a young girl taught from a very young age? That your looks are the most important thing about you. And that's absolutely ridiculous. But, in, in, but no one says that. No, you know, the grandma or the aunt that's saying all these things to these young girls, they don't, they don't realize they're doing something that could potentially be harmful. Mm. They're, trying, they're trying to, you know, love these girls and they think that they're helping build their self-esteem. But really, in the, in, the, in the girls themselves, even, you know, like you growing up, you don't realize all these things are impacting you in that way. But, sub, but subconsciously, you're learning how, how much it, your appearance matters, that how other people perceive you and how your beauty and if you're pretty or not. And the first thing you're doing is prepare, you know, comparing yourself to other girls who's prettier who, you know, and all these things. And they said it's totally people have no idea they're doing it. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something that um, I took down that you had written. And I, I think this is probably... Something that just really bothered me, um, and I want to talk about it, which is that some people, when you came out, they accused you of doing this for attention. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I guess because I'm familiar enough with what people go through as transgender or in life as whole as a whole, there's no way a person would choose a path that's as difficult as the path that you've been on. That mm-hmm. is not... Um, no, <laughs> that is not a path. And I, I have to admit that that bothered me a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know that you have been on the receiving end of a lot of negativity and you have handled it with grace. Thank you. And I would say that, you know, that piece of it, you know, just kind of incensed me. It, you know, and it's ridiculous. But the thing is, when people don't understand something, they try to come up with something that makes sense to them. So when they look at someone like me, and the hardest thing was, I had all these fans that were like these masculine men that looked up to me and, uh, you know, idolized the things I had done. And, and they saw saw me as a role model. Well, then, then when I come out like this, that person they thought I was in finding out as someone that's completely different, or at least different in a lot of ways than what they knew, they were angry and they were hurt and they didn't understand it. Because they felt lied to. They felt lied to. They felt betrayed. Mm -hmm. And then, and for some of them, you know, thinking about like, you know, for some, I had one um, guy uh, send me a message that said he burned the posters that I had signed for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how upset he was. And, um, 
But uh, but yeah, so they try to come up with a narrative that makes sense to them, and they can't, you know, they don't understand like the whole gender identity thing and how difficult this was for me and how I could be like this super strong person and yet you know be transgender the whole time. So they're thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. They, they they've got it's got to be a sellout. It's got to be some kind of ploy, or there's got to be some kind of. It, it's funny the number of times I've been accused of doing this for money. And uh, the thing is, I lost my biggest sponsorship right, you know, when they found out I was transgender. I ended up losing my my job as a pharmacist. Um, if I was trying to do this for money, that was the worst financial decision ever. Because you lost it, your job too. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yep. And um, yeah, it was it was a rough road there for a little while. And um, but yeah, this is in no way you know has benefited me financially yeah. compared to where I was at previously. And uh, and I'm making it you know I'm making it work. And there's new opportunities and things I'm really excited about. But even like the documentary, people think you know like oh you're, oh yeah we should talk about that real quick. Yeah. People might not know. So there's a documentary on Netflix. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's really good. Oh, thank it's, you. It's, it's really thank well you. done. Um, I, I mean, I, what I want to say about that is, is how did that come about, number one? And number two, how has that changed your life? Okay, so um, so how it came about, um, so that was right after I got out in 2015. I had just um, shot some video for Muscle Tech, my, one of my big sponsors at the time, and they, and they hire some freelance people from time to time to do those videos. And one of the guys who was freelancing... Um, um, also, um, well, he ended up being the um, cinematographer for the documentary, but mm-hmm. so he knew that this director, and he had shot me six months before for Muscle Tag. So he, when he heard about you know the news and all this coming out, he was like, "Holy cow! I just you know filmed that person." Contact the director, said, "Michael, hey, I, I met this person. I think this is a really interesting story and something you you know you would find very fascinating." Michael, you know, he, he filled Michael in. Michael said, yes, definitely. He got a hold of me and said, hey, this is what I'm interested in. I, I want to come out to Michigan. He was from Toronto. He said, I want to come out to Michigan, just sit down with you for a night, no cameras, anything, and just tell you what I have in mind and see if you'd be interested. And for me, it was like, the big things for me was I said, look, I'm, I'm not worried about trying to be some reality star. And like yeah. I have no interest in those things. What I'm interested in, if we can help educate people that don't understand mm-hmm. and we can help inspire people like me, then I'm all for it. And, um, you know, he said, absolutely. He's like, look, I just want to tell your story. He's like, I'm not, I don't want to spin anything. I don't want to do anything like that. He's like, I just want to explain to people what's going on. I think it's super fascinating. And, um, and I think it's something people need to hear. And, uh, and I just, I got a really good vibe from him. I felt like he was an honest person. Cause that's the thing. Like once you, the thing is, once you agree to do something like this, you don't have any, you have no control over no the editing. No edit- editorial, right? No, we tried to negotiate yeah. that. They do not give that up. Really? Because not at all. Oh, so you're yeah. you're literally putting everything. I, yeah. I, I actually think I knew that, but I've forgotten that. I should know that in the field that I'm doing this. But I mean, I... I'm yeah. a kind person, so if somebody didn't like something, I'd say I, they said I, I'd change it. But I know that film yeah. is not that way. Yeah, no. And for the director to do their job and everything, they need to be able to do it the way yeah. they want to do it. So you're basically entrusting them in the, to tell the story Ooh. of my life. Mm. And and the, and the funny thing is, I became really good friends with all those guys. You know, they followed me around for two years while they were filming all this stuff. So we became good friends. And and the director Michael was a was an, a former athlete himself. He was an uh, Olympic hopeful in the 800 for Canada, mm. in 800 meters. And so we let's kind of shout out over to that. Canadians here. 
because I spent yeah. 14 yeah. years in Toronto. I'm half Canadian. Oh, awesome. So woo woo to Canadians. Woo, woo. <laughs> yeah. And my girlfriend Olivia's Canadian. So oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Woo. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so I became close friends with all these guys and it, and it turned out I, I did trust the right people and mm. I felt they did a very mm. good job, you know, telling my story and not, there's, you know, there's no, for anyone who hasn't seen the documentary, there's, there's no political agenda. There's no bias. It's just, it's just telling my story, like basically following me around for the two years after I got outed and how it affected my life and affected my family. And, um, yeah, it's not preachy. There's no, you know, there's no experts and there's, there's no like slant, like trying to convince people by anything. It's like, look, this is this person's life. This is what they've struggled with. This is what they're going through. And, and that's the story. I mean, there were some hard parts with your dad. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I, I, I felt like that was, you know, I, I, I felt that, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that wasn't easy, but he was, he, he still had grace. Yeah. You know, and my mom and dad are old school, you know, mm-hmm. they grew up in small towns and, um, and, uh, they've lived up North in a really small area for a really long time in these small communities. And it's really shaped, you know, their views on things. And, and my mom's family is very strict Catholics and, and, uh, it's hard for them to understand. And, um, my dad has actually come around some since the documentary, um, before that, he had never seen me presenting this way, like, you know, wearing makeup and presenting the way I'm comfortable. But he already knew, but he, he knew. hadn't seen the visual. Yeah, yeah. and it was, um, but yeah, it was just something, and for me, it was still kind of uncomfortable. I didn't, you know, I wasn't sure that I wanted, and I knew it was really going to be really tough for him, so I just didn't want to push him until he was ready, but uh, but just this past year, he came over to my house for Christmas, and mm-hmm. I wore a dress, and everything was awesome, and, and he was a little bit weird at first, but uh, <laughs> but eventually, he, he settled down, and, and the funny thing was, is he did not want to, and my sons actually convinced him, like my middle, my oldest son went and talked to him and said, hey, look, Grandpa, you know, and um, so, but no, it was cool, and things are slowly getting better and better. And the funny thing, he actually watched the documentary like a couple months ago, oh. and um, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't. I didn't. You know, I didn't push it on him or anything. He kind of did on his own, and then he mentioned it to me afterwards. And I was kind of asked him, "What'd you think?" And he's like, uh, "I had no idea you felt that way." Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was good. Mom's still, uh, mom's still tough. Yeah. Um, you know, she loves me, and I know that. And. Um, but uh, she's just someone who has a difficulty with change regardless yeah. of what it is. So something like this is really hard for her. And I just try to keep in mind, you know, their perspective and where they're coming from. And I know they love me and they're not going to abandon me, but it's still hurtful at times. Mm-hmm. You know, especially my mom, I haven't been invited to like Christmas and Thanksgiving like mm-hmm. for quite a few years now. And she'll come up with excuses, you know, why she would never, she won't acknowledge that it's because of that. Um, but that's exactly what it is. And, yeah. you know, so that, that's tough, but really like I said, it, it's, you know, hopefully she'll come around and, yeah. You know. So a couple of other questions I want to ask, and I would like to talk a little bit about, um, what's going on in the transgender community with lifting, because mm-hmm. I have to admit, I haven't really followed it. I know that one of the powerlifting Groups or federations are not, they're not allowing transgender athletes. Mm -hmm. And then I think that we raised, a group of people raised it to go to a vote again and it still didn't pass as Mm -hmm. as far as I know. And I, I mean, I get asked about that all the time. Um, I compete in, (laughs) I'm sure. And I, you know, I compete in strongman, but I train primarily in powerlifting. And Mm -hmm. I think that I don't, I have to admit that I don't have an answer. People ask me, Mm -hmm. I don't know what the answer is. I know there's a solution out there. Sure. There is one. I just, I don't, first of all, I don't know what it is. And second of all, I don't, I'm not the right person to even have the conversation because I'm not you, you know, you, we need people that can come to the table and have the conversation that can have 
good solutions moving forward. That's mm-hmm. fair. Right. And, and, and I, I think I heard recently that there's a testosterone amount. I was at a strongman party, mm-hmm. actually, you know, shout out to my strongman peeps from Denver that allow a 45 year old woman to walk into a strongman <laughs> gym and say, Oh, by the way, I want to try. And they welcomed me. That's and it was, awesome. It's wonderful. Um, but they, they were telling me that there's a testosterone level now that can be tested over the course of a year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And if it's at a, it's, if it's below a certain level, then that athlete can compete. That's right? it's actually been that way. So yeah, so actually I've researched this stuff a ton, and um, and I've actually spoke to um, one of the doctors that is consulted by the IOC, the International Olympic mm-hmm. Committee, that formed these rules regarding transgender athletes, and the same and it's the same style of rules that the NCAA has adopted. And um, people don't realize these rules have been in place since 2004. No, since I athlete. didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah, and everybody thinks this is like just the last couple of years, and there's so much misinformation out there. You hear constantly like, oh, the trans these trans athletes are smashing all the records and. You know, breaking everything. Women are going to have no left, no place left in sport, and they're going to dominate them, and all this stuff. Well, the reality is, and, and I'll be the first to acknowledge. The thing is, too, if to know me, if you know me as a person, I'm not someone that is, is like trying to push an agenda, or you know, like has you know, even though I'm transgender and I'm an athlete, I would never be the one if I if I really thought it wasn't fair to say, oh, this is oh, they should all compete, and no one should have a problem with it, and. I, I definitely like I'm like let's look at the all the evidence see how this all re, in reality this plays out and if it's fair this is the way it should be and if it's not fair then we need to figure out how to make it fair yeah and um, that's kind of my stance like there's got to be yeah. a way to figure this yeah. shit out this is this is not rocket science yeah. right so so the thing is and I'll be the first one to say we do need more research and we yeah. especially need more research with um, strength athletes because mm-hmm. we don't have very much um, most of the research on transgender athletes has been done in, on endurance athletes just because there's been more of them and we have more cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's what we know. So since 2004, before the Olympics, um, transgender athletes have been able to compete in the Olympics. There have been zero Olympic champions, zero transgender um, world record holders, zero medal winners, and there has not even been a single transgender athlete that we know of. You know, granted, it's possible there could be some that are, um, it's what we call in the community stealth, that you don't know they're transgender, mm-hmm. that are competing. But as far as we know, not a single open transgender person has even been able to qualify for an Olympic team. So that kind of tells us if, if, if transgender women had the advantage that people think they have and they can come in and dominate everything, we should have had some world records broken by now. We should have had some gold medalists. Those things should have happened, um, but they haven't. Not at all. Not even close. And like I said, there is the possibility yeah. that there could be, you know, there's, there was a rumor that there was a couple um, transgender athletes at the Rio Games. Um, supposedly, we heard they were from Europe, and I heard rumors of there's supposedly two, but the, at, also the rumor was is that neither of them were capable of meddling, but that one had made some recent improvements in May medal. Mm. But that, and then as far as I know, that didn't happen and they didn't come out. But there's also a rumor going around that at the next Olympic Games, there may be some openly transgender athletes. And there was one, and one people want to talk a lot about is Laurel Hubbard. I don't know if you heard about Laurel at all. Mm-hmm. She made a lot of waves because she was the um, weightlifter from New Zealand. Um, so she lifted in the women's heavyweight class. Now, she won the Masters Women's Worlds, and that stirred up a whole bunch. And and um, so that you know created a ton of controversy, and they're saying, you know, the whole, this is unfair. She's going to dominate everything. Well, the thing is, at the Open World Championships, she actually took second. And then here's the other thing that's interesting. 
the all of the top women from the prior Olympics were still on suspension and none of them were there. So Laurel, so Laurel, everybody was talking about Laurel oh. as if she was going to come in and dominate the sport. No one was hmm. going to win. Here's the thing. Her best total ever would still have put her outside the medals at the Olympics. Really? So she still wasn't even at the level to medal. But I mean, but realistically, she did have a shot at meddling at the next Olympics and everybody was kind of holding their breath waiting to see what happened. But she recently had a really bad injury at her last competition and, and it looks like her career is over. So mm. we're never going to see how that's going to play out. But the reason why she can't compete, though, is because of those studies and the work that's been done to determine, and it is yeah, about the it, testosterone levels, right? It's, exactly. It's, it's, so here's the thing. Here's the thing people don't realize. So when you, you always hear the same arguments over and over again. Like, yeah, you know, but I mean, you make it basic for the people mm-hmm. that don't necessarily understand Okay, that. so basically, so is there a difference between males and females? Sure, there is. But there's a whole lot of factors other than just physiological. I mean, males have been competing in sport longer. There's been more competition. Mm-hmm. There's higher expectations. There's other reasons why men achieve more than females. But to look at it, from a purely physical standpoint, yes, men are bigger on average. Men tend to have more upper body strength on average. And testosterone does provide an advantage. There's no denying that. But you know, people want to say other things too, like um, you know, bone frame, hand size, things like that. Those bone density and stuff like that, those are debatable. Um, there's a lot of other research we probably don't have time to get into that you know, can kind of contradict some of those things. But So the primary advantage males have over females, though, is testosterone. Right. Women have it, too, just in very, very much, you know, lower levels. Right. But that is, it, I think the easiest way for people to think about this um, is it would be like a drug-free athlete competing against someone you know, using exogenous you know, steroids. Right. And um, it's the same kind of advantage. It's a right. hormonal advantage. So that's your big difference between males and females. It would be like a drug-free athlete competing against athletes that are on gear. And, um, but the thing is when you take away those hormones, what we have found, what studies have shown within one year of being a couple, there's a couple of things. The testosterone levels have to be suppressed below a certain level, basically bringing them down. Actually, the, the level that's required for transgender women is actually lower than an average woman, than an average woman. I I I did see, well, cause I kind of looked at the numbers a little bit and I'm like, but, but wait, it's really (laughs) low. I mean, I might be that low just because. Anyway, I have half the organs I was born with, so my body operates not like the average woman. But the average woman has way more testosterone than mm-hmm. than the level that they're testing transgender athletes at. Right, exactly. And um, so the the test, and they actually just um, and then the doctor that I know that um, has been consulted by the IOC and has a lot of input in these things actually just recommended that the levels be reduced even more. And so they're adopting that and they're dropping it down even lower. And I'm not. I, I actually really I need to talk to her again and have you know consulted with her back and forth a few times asking her about a lot of these things and why, um, uh, you know, that they chose the levels they did and things like that. I'm I'm curious to talk to her and see why she felt the levels needed to be reduced even more if, you know, they were seeing some things. Um, But uh, but that's where it's at right now. But then also the NCAA, and I want to say, I believe it was 2011 that adopted the same rules, basically one year. Well, initially for the IOC, it was two years and they had to have bottom surgery, which, you know, mm-hmm. um, genital surgery. Right. And, um, well now they've switched it to one year after further research and, and bottom surgery is not required because yeah. surprisingly a lot of people don't understand not every transgender person wants to have the genital surgery. Some right. of them are okay with what they have. Some of them are afraid of the risks and the complications. It's a major surgery right. and none of that has anything to do with athletic performance. Right. So, um, but, uh, but in the NCAA, it's, it's, the same, it's the same kind of scenario. They've been allowed to compete since 2011. Zero national champions, zero you know, college records broken. So, so far, yeah, so, so far, what we know is that they don't appear to have the advantage everybody thinks mm-hmm. they do. And it's not as simple. People want to be like, oh, it's a man competing in a woman's sport. No, you're take, you take away 
all that testosterone, you replace it with estrogen and you lower those levels down. It's like an equalizer. It does. And it doesn't yeah. take that long. And people can't, you know, then people are like, you can't tell me that someone who's been male for 30 years and within one year is now the same as a woman. It sounds crazy. I get it. But think about this too. When someone takes steroids, it doesn't take very long for those things to start working. I mean, it's, within it's a, about actually, four. like I was going to say, even like two months, right? Yeah, like you generally start to see results within about three to four weeks, mm-hmm. and then within a couple months, you know, it, it, the results are significant. It's the same way with you know going the opposite direction, suppressing testosterone and adding estrogen. When I first got on estrogen, my lifts dropped so fast and I lost so much strength. It was ridiculous. And, that, and that's another thing, too, I want to get to because I haven't talked a whole lot about this. But yeah. So the bad thing is, is people people point to me as a reason why like trans athletes, like, look, look at Janae Crack. If she came in, she's going to dominate everything. Well, what they don't understand is... So like, well, that's because physically you're still, and I'm looking I'm at you because yeah. I mean, I'm like, wait, I just, I'd give anything to have my veins look like that in my biceps. Well, I'm you. just saying, thank you. I mean, I, I need yeah. to, I need to get an extra lift in today. So my, yeah. no, yeah. I, but you appear, you also appear yeah. very muscular. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and to be fair, I'm way smaller and weaker than I used to be. Really? Yeah. I was 280 pounds at my biggest wow. and um, I'm 225 ish right now. Okay. And my, I've lost hundreds of pounds off my squat bench and deadlift. Like it's not even close to where I was, but I'm still quite strong and very strong compared to the average woman, of course. But here's the thing that I've talked a little bit about, but probably need to be more open about. Now, the reason why um, people shouldn't look at me as an example of what trans athletes are are capable of is because, so when I went on estrogen, um, so so I lost, um, I had testicular cancer. So I lost one testicle to cancer Mm -hmm. and then I, um, and and then I paid actually to have the other one removed um, as part of my transition. Mm -hmm. And so my body makes no testosterone, only a tiny amount from the adrenal gland which again is much less than the average woman makes. Mm. And, um, but so then after I went on estrogen, well, the thing was I, um, the results I was hoping for from estrogen, like breast growth and body shape changes stuff weren't happening, but my athletic performance was suffering huge. And I was also gaining body fat and not in the places I wanted to. It was going to my stomach instead Mm -hmm. of my hips and thighs. And I actually felt it was making me look less feminine rather than more. And so then after several months of that, I was like, you know what? This isn't making me happy. This isn't making me feel better about my body. It's actually making me feel worse. And so at that point, I backed the estrogen down some, and I added back in some really mild androgens, not testosterone. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't want those masculinizing side effects, but I added in some really mild androgens that would help me maintain some muscle, keep my body fat, you know, reasonably low, but without the masculinizing side effects, without the facial hair, the body hair, and things like that. And so that's what I've been doing since then. So I'm taking a combination of male androgens very, you know, mild ones with very little of the masculinizing side effects and estrogen Mm -hmm. in lower doses of estrogen. And that's what's helped me feel better and helped me balance my body. But that's also why I've been able to maintain as much muscle and still look the way I do. So the thing is what I'm doing, I would not be allowed to compete as a female, as a transgender female. Right. So that's like, I I need to talk. I've been, well, but listen, people, people have been asking you if you're going to compete and you're saying no, you've you've never said no, I I don't plan to compete as a female athlete but mm-hmm. but thank you for explaining that because that is definitely people don't understand how mm-hmm. how it works and how you keep your shape if mm-hmm. you are fully on yeah. estrogen therapy yeah and the thing is and the thing is too people have to remember you know too is that 
you know, I competed at the highest levels of the sport yeah, for you, two decades. You started up here. Let's just yeah, be honest. Well, yeah. You started like the strongest of the strong. Yeah. Right? So the thing is, and the thing is, had I even even if I had just fully transitioned, you know, went on estrogen way, there's still a good chance I would have been. If I was the strongest mm-hmm. male, why wouldn't I have been among the strongest females? Yeah. So the thing is, I'm not. I'm I'm that outlier. I'm the mm-hmm. you know the atypical case. I'm not right. someone you base you know the average person off. This of. is so true. And thanks for saying that and acknowledging it. I mean, you 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 set a baseline about the question because. Because really, um, if if people can look at you and put you in the situation of you know the possible genes of the world competing, you know it you you might be the abnormality, but not not necessarily. I mean, well, times it, are a little different now. Yeah. And, well, and the thing is too, that's that's your champions anyway, yeah, right? They're right. all outliers. They're all right. for whatever reason, whether true. it's their mentality, their physical gifts, their work ethic. Those are what make them champions, and you know so. You know, those things all play into that. But yeah, it's that's why when people look at me and and say, you know, and when they and they misinterpret me saying that I'll never compete as a woman, because I I was the biggest thing was I don't want to do anything that would harm the sport and transgender people. And so that's the biggest reason why I've decided I wouldn't I would not compete. Um, So why is this one powerlifting federation not not complying? I I mean, I I, I really I have to admit, I stay out of it enough to where I don't know. I'm sure if I posted this question, I'd get like, but why do you think that is? Um, I just don't understand. I, honestly, I think I think they're uneducated. I think they don't. Oh, sorry, it's going to yeah. get a little loud in here. That's yeah. okay. We're just going to keep going on. <laughs> um, on a, like, I, like I, you know, I can't say for sure because I haven't personally interacted with any of these people. To be honest, I try to do. I really try to be very active with educating and and helping explain things to people. But I I'm not interested in into getting in pissing contests over mm. you know stuff that's going to be negative and it's just going to be a big argument back and forth. I don't think that benefits anyone. Right. Um, but so I haven't spoken to any of the you know heads of the USAPL or anybody like that and know exactly where they're coming from. I have seen things they posted, what they've written and their stance on it. I can just say like from a scientific standpoint and from a medical perspective, um, they're, they're very much in the wrong. They're very uneducated about what they're saying and their conclusions they're drawing are not accurate. And they, they really need to um, look at the, the current research and, and uh, do a better job of figuring those things out. But, you know, who knows? You know, maybe maybe in their hearts they believe it's not fair and they're protecting the women. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Or maybe they, you I know, think maybe that they have some other bias. I think that probably is. I'd like to think mm-hmm. that the bias is for fairness purposes and not for exclusion. I, I yeah. would like to think I that. I would like to believe that, too. Yeah. yeah. I, but, I mean, we, we might be those that just think the best maybe of people. Little, yeah. Maybe being a little naive. <laughs> yes. But, and and yeah. I believe we just have your girlfriend just joined us, right? Yes. I mean, if I had <laughs> headphones plugged in, by the way, I would ask you to join us. But I want to ask, like, how did you guys meet? What what his date? Being been like, I mean, um, this is. So we um, we actually met at the film festival in Toronto. Oh my um, gosh! See, we were yeah. just talking. I spent 14 years in Toronto. I'm like mm-hmm. half Canadian. I know high five for Canadians. <laughs> yeah. So we. So t- at TIFF. Yes. Yeah. 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 She. Um, what's that? Yes. Hot dogs. Yeah. Something hot dogs. about hot dogs. Yeah. yeah. Hot. Well, there's hot dogs and there's TIFF. So um, TIFF is Toronto International Film Festival. Yeah. Hot dogs is the one that's specifically for documentaries. Ah. So they have two major film festivals, and we actually met at Hot Docs. And um, but yeah, she uh, took the night off work, um, came to watch the film, and we had a mutual friend. So um, did you guys get set up? No, uh, we just like she came and hung around afterwards to say hi, and and um, we talked a little bit, and. No, no, no. Yeah, it was just kind of, uh, yeah. And I just, um, I but she stuck in my mind. I remembered oh, her. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and then a few months later, she kind of reached out to me on social media, and we started talking. And shortly after that, uh, we had our first date. And uh, since then, uh, things have been great. Awesome. And, uh, 
Awesome. Well, I'm glad. To, it's it's nice to meet you, and I'll tell you that we just had an amazing amazing show. And Jenny, I I I appreciate you so much being willing to like go through the fire. Like you you are literally willing to go through the fire to help others, um, share your message and share your life. And I know that you say that you're not your intention is never to make any big change or do anything big. But you know what you are you are. You know, you are, you might not, you might not want that, but you have the, A, the ability to do so and B, the humbleness for people to be able to feel from you what you feel. And so I, for one, just thank you for, you know, being willing to share your documentary was huge and your story and for coming on the show and being a part of, you know, helping other people learn from what you've been through. Well, thank you so much. And and honestly, for me, I, I feel a responsibility to do those things just because I know how hard it was to grow up and not have anyone to relate to and not be able to understand these things and to feel so isolated and alone and, and like there's something wrong with me. So if I can be that person for someone else that helps them feel a little better about themselves, I feel like that I absolutely have to. It would, it would not be fair of me. It'd be selfish to do otherwise. Well, thank you. I honestly, I've, I've been fangirling so much <laughs> waiting for today. This was the best part. Thank you. Oh, All right. Thank you so much. So those of you that are listening to Girl Talk, I mean, wow, this is incredible. Uh, we have some of the most amazing women's stories that we're sharing. And Janae, you are just the icing on the cake today. And we will be back with you soon. Thanks again. Thank you. This is Courtney Olson thanking you for joining us. If you want to keep up with us and join us some more, find us on our website at girl.com. That is G-R-R-R-L-G-R-R-R-L.com. You can find our newsletter on there to sign up for that and stay in the now. Or find us on our Instagram at girl underscore clothing. That's girl underscore clothing. And remember, you are enough. <laughs>